1: Get iXL now and listeners can get an exclusive 20% off iXL membership when they sign up today at iXL.com slash audio. Visit iXL.com slash audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price.
2: Welcome in to the Fog.net podcast. My name is Michael Swain, the Kansas beat writer for 24-7 sports. Really excited about the interview we have coming your way today. I'm joined by Kevin Flaherty and also Uh, the great Brandon McAnderson, who, of course, played for KU. So we'll start with you, Brandon. How has your week been? Football season is approaching. How excited are you
3: for the season? Very excited, man. I love watching Kansas play football. I love watching anybody play football. (laughs) I'm about to go watch my eighth grader practice here in a little bit. So uh, that's kind of – that's what I do, man. I I love being around the game, and I love supporting uh, my alma mater.
2: Love it. Yeah, and I know we're all at the point where – you know, football season here, it's getting a little It's warm, it's humid, and, you know, I'm looking forward to the season. But, Brandon, let's start here with you. Um, I cover recruiting a lot for KU, and I know that, you know, you decided to join KU after a 2-10 season. Just starting with the recruiting process for you and p- picking KU, what was it that made the program attractive and what made you pick the Jayhawks?
3: Well, I, it was just the opportunity. You know, I, I'd always loved the university. I've always wanted to be a part of it. And when the opportunity came to get the offer, it was a no-brainer decision for me. Um, I don't ever think of myself as an underdog. I don't see myself as an underdog story. Um, I didn't come to Kansas to be an underdog. I kind of came because I was so used to wanting to be somewhere where I could be known and where I could, we could create something special. And Kansas really checked all those boxes, especially for me being a hometown person. I wanted to be someone that helped turn around uh, the program that was closest to my heart. And I wanted to, to, to make it special.
4: Now, once you got to KU, you know, you were a part of so many moments. I mean, you guys go to the Tangerine bowl. I think your freshman year, the next year, you know, people may not remember this, but the John Randall touchdown run against K state that kind of sealed that game and broke the streak. You were the guy out front, you know, kind of leading the way and setting that block to, to free him up. And then, you know, you you guys wind up going to the Fort Worth bowl and and finish up with the orange bowl season. Is there anything, I I know this is kind of a grand question, but is there anything specific that really stands out to you? Like maybe more than another moment where you're like, man, that was, that was a special time.
3: This is going to sound weird, but they were all special times. (laughs) (laughs) getting, Getting the opportunity to play college football was so special. And to do it in my hometown, there was a moment every game where I put my hand down for a three-point stance or so I got ready to cover a kick and had a moment of like, man, I cannot believe that I'm here and having an opportunity to do this on the biggest stage. As far as like from a development piece or uh, something like that, I would say the Texas game in 04 sure. uh, was a was a turning point moment because um, we had always been, you know, the 6-6 six and six team. That was a lot, had a lot to do with Bill Whittemore and a good offensive line. So, we had a good offensive line. We had good receivers. We had Clark Green and John Randall in the backfield. And we had B. Witt back there slinging it. So, if he would have played more, we would have won more. He was just good. You know, he just moved us ahead in the process. So, that year, being a freshman in a red shirt, that one was less significant because I thought that was more about. Bill and and the, and the surrounding pieces. The next year was about everyone. You know, we came, we came in a defense that was in the, was one of the worst in the country, you know, got absolutely torched in the tangerine bowl. We had one of the worst secondaries in the country. All those same people came back and we were a top five defense the very next season. Um, Memorable moment was that, that uh, Adrian Peterson was trying to break a record for consecutive hundred yard games and it was like going through hell getting 100 yards against our defense. I mean, he had to work. The game was it was 42 to 10. He was still playing in the fourth quarter because it was hard to move the ball on that defense. And that was that was to me the first time that it felt like this could be really different. Um, you know, guys like Nick Reed, guys like the the late Dave McClint, uh, excuse me, McMillan, uh, who's a, you know, fourth round pick of the Browns. Those guys, man, were so tough and had been through so much in terms of losing and coaching changes and they were just good veterans to have guys like Travis Watkins Um, those guys were tough man and they played hard and they taught us about earning about taking respect and uh, I think that 2004 season was a lot about how physical they were and how we kind of changed the minds about the people around us.
4: Now we do want to talk about this year's team because I mean uh, that's what everybody is really you know interested in this close to the season but I, I think one of the things that I'm kind of interested in your take on is when you came to Kansas, you know, like Mike was saying, you know, Kansas was, was a two and 10 program. They hadn't had a lot of success. The Terry Allen years right before that. And you guys wound up having this great strength coach and Chris Dawson who wound up winning, you know, national strength coach of the year, I think after the orange bowl team and everything. And you really saw guys bodies change significantly from when they came into the program to to when they were leaving. And not to to say that, you know, hey, Matt Gildersleeve needs to be National Strength Coach of the Year, but do you see some similarities in terms of the way that guys' bodies are changing sort of from year one in the program to year two and, and possibly moving forward?
3: Absolutely. Let me just say first, Kevin. Sure. I would rather not talk about the times that I played. That's how excited (laughs) I am about what's going on now. I think there's great stories. I want to celebrate these guys as much as we can because they deserve it. And I want to support them the way that that I felt support when I played. So that's first. Secondly, Gildersleeve is a superstar. I mean, you can can listen to him talk for five minutes and be like, oh, my God, this guy's different. Um, And that's the experience I've had from afar, just getting a chance to hear him talk and to hear the passion that he speaks with and to hear the detail that he works with. I see the similarities in, um, in the way that they're getting results. The one thing I think is so cool about what they do is I thought Mangino, part of what Mangino did was he created an environment where there was a lot of pressure and there was a lot of anxiety and he wanted to almost pit us against him. And that to kind of pull us closer together. So it was, a, it was a much different thing. And I think Coach Dawson played into that because we were cl- coach with, close with Coach Dawson because we spent all that time with him. Um, and he, he helped our bodies and he molded us. But our first couple years, we weren't doing a lot of body molding. We were doing a lot of toughness molding. Like, sure. if you want to be here, it's going to be very hard. So that was his first step to where Gildersleeve uh, got in immediately and started changing the bodies and when you see bodies changing like that, we saw bodies changing in the first 90 days. And now we're seeing the guys look vastly different in the spring than they do in the fall. You know, sure. like just this, this guy is a magician. And what that tells you is that those players believe in him. That's buy-in. Mm-hmm. When you got a, a potential starter who I think is probably the most talented guy up front in Armand's Reed Adams, who loses a whole human being, 100 pounds. And this is a guy I was excited about. You know, I I talked to Gildersleeve probably last spring when I saw him at three. I think he was around three forty ish. I'm like, man, he looks good. He did not say anything except he's got a he's got he's got a ways to go, sure. and boy was he right. And you're thinking, well, he's already lost eighty pounds. Like, what do you want from him? <laughs> and, and that's just an example of his commitment to them and their commitment to him and to themselves. You have to believe in yourself and what you're doing to have so few transfers coming off a, a, a season where you didn't win very much and and to have so much body and physical improvement. I think he's a, he's special.
2: Yeah, getting to talk to guys at media days on, on Wednesday, I sat down with Caleb Taylor for a little bit. He's another one of those guys that's kind of that success story in terms of framing your body where Armage Reed Adams loses up basically 100 pounds, and Caleb Taylor put on 50 pounds over the course of an off season. And talking to him, it's incredible. You know, he kind of was hesitant to buy in and put on that weight at the start because he wondered, "Am I going to be the same player?" And he was somehow able to go from 250 to 300, and his athletic scores apparently didn't move at all, which I think is just super impressive. And you also look at someone like Armaje Reed Adams losing the weight. And overall, it's it's super impressive. But I think for people that maybe don't understand, Brandon, like how much time are these guys spending with someone like Gildersleeve? Because the way that I think about the way the program is set up, it you know, Gildersleeve is basically a coordinator. If you're going to think about the program in terms of pillars, right? You've got offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, and Ianello doing a lot of the personnel stuff. But the strength coaches makes a, a huge impact on these guys. So for you that spend time in the program, like – How much time are these guys around Gildersleeve and is it more than maybe fans might expect?
3: Absolutely. If you had to rank the amount of time you spent around the staff, strength staff would be first by far, Mm. literally with them all the time. And then there's dead periods in the winter and spring where you can't even be coached by your coaching staff. And if you can, I think it's like six or seven times. And that was back in, in my era. I don't know if that's changed at all. But there was almost no off-season communication with your coaches in terms of the winter-spring period, all with your strength coaches. So I would go strength coaches, position coaches, and then your head coach and, you know, your your INLOs. So those are kind of like the, the that kind of the way I think about the communication cycle but you're really with these guys all the time and that's that's a big part of it. I know from my development coach Dawson was a guy that you know I was a guy that wanted to blend in. You know, I thought I was working hard and I got to KU and was like, "Well, I've never actually worked hard, have I?" <laughs> and, and I didn't want to I didn't want to win. I just wanted to like not be bad. So I would kind of like blend in, kind of be in the middle of the pack. And Coach Dawson had a radar on me, man. He knew all my tricks and he stayed on me and he made me a player. Um, just through pushing me through those things. And that's what I see with Gildersleeve, man. He just sticks with these guys and encourages them, and they believe in him. So I'm excited about uh, the physical improvements because we definitely look like a Big 12 football team now.
4: You look at the running back position, and obviously you being a running back yourself, so much young talent in that room. You know, a local guy in Devin Neal, a guy who's not that far away locally in Kai Thomas from from Topeka you know Savion Morrison, Daniel Hyshaw, With all of those guys still having so much eligibility left, where do you look to see the improvement with those guys? How did things sort of change for you as a running back, you know, maybe year from year in, and where can they still improve it, and where can they still go from here?
3: I think what they have to look at is what role can I fill for this team? Because there's so much talent, right? I think Devin Neal is your do everything. He's your number one back. This sure. guy just turned 19. I mean, so, you know, he is a very young person. And what I liked about him was young people that are fast have a hard time finding vertical seams. And when he started playing early in the season, he had a hard time finding vertical seams. By game four, those problems had were a thing of the past. He improved so much in the first four or five weeks of the season it was startling so i expect him to be a star and i expect him to be an all big 12 back then you got a guy like ty thomas i call him steady eddie you know he he reminds me of me not running style but just his consistency you know exactly what you're gonna get this guy's gonna get if a play is gonna get four yards he's not getting less than four yards he's a steady eddie he can do it all so if you're a guy like daniel highshaw and Morrison. First of all, Daniel Hyshaw is an absurd football player. He um, is. The, the scrimmage that I went to a practice on a Wednesday last week, mm-hmm. and the first two carries he had, I, I mean, I had to pick my jaw up off the floor. And he's a guy that KU fans really don't know about. I mean, he his freshman year he played, but our offensive line was so bad, it, it was hard to get an inch. And he had a game, uh, that OU game, where he broke a 50 or 60-yarder. He's got top-end speed. He's got power. He literally has everything. So he's a guy that can be a home run hitter. But if you're trying to get into the lineup, you got to figure, what can I do? What are we missing? That could be pass pro, blitz pickup. That's how I became a a primary back was blitz pickup. You know, we had a lot of scat scat type backs that weren't great at pass pro. They couldn't uh, pick up the schemes. They weren't great at uh, figuring out what blitz packages people had. I spent a lot of time in the film room learning those splits packages because I knew that was a way that I could get on the field. So I think it's just a matter of what can I do to maximize my opportunities, especially with, you know, two guys, one, Devin Neal, just upside and ability and leadership. He's number one. Then you got a guy like Kai Thomas who's just not going to make mistakes. So if I'm going to be the third and fourth guy, I got to figure out ways that I can add to the team and add to the group. And I think that's where they've got to be searching for.
2: Yeah. I I love that you mentioned Daniel Highshaw because I – anyone you talk to around the program has raved about him and you go see him at practice and you just look at all the different running backs. And then you see Daniel Hyshaw, whose thighs literally are like busting out of the shorts that he's wearing. (laughs) Like he's just a physically impressive running back. And you just look at the running backs as a whole, like Andy Kulnicki has the saying, right. Uh, A pair and a spare. And you've got a pair and two spares really with someone like Morris, and of course, Corey Lachlan too, right. Versatile player. Um, I think all over offense, there's different guys that are are versatile and brain. I mean, you've been at practice, probably you're allowed to stay a little bit longer than, uh, we are in the media, but who are some of the other guys on offense that I think have maybe caught your attention kind of through the practices that you've been able to be there for.
3: So I'm a big Reed Adams guy. I loved him from the moment he got here. He's of his athletic ability, his strength, his length. I mean, he is a prototype and I think he's going to be a big time football player, um, Dominic Pooney is a guy that from walking in, I'm asking questions. You know, I'm not a media member. I don't pretend to be. <laughs> I'm a homer <laughs> 12 times a year. So I'm asking for my for my fan interest. And I ask, hey, what are you looking at here? Who's a guy that surprised you? Almost the name that comes off everyone's mouth is Pooney. Um, he's a guy that when I watched him, he is huge. So Pooney. So he was a guy I heard a lot about, and the, the offensive line group was one that I didn't have a lot of concerns about because of how well they jailed last year. You know, I knew they were going to be down a guy and there'd be some questions about depth. But for Pooney to come in in the short period of time he's been here and push for first team reps is a great sign, especially yeah. at guard, because what we saw at guard is I think Armaje Reed, Reed Adams is the most talented guy in the group. So you're talking about a super talent. And then you look over the other side, you got another steady Eddie and Michael Ford Jr. who's played three different positions. And this guy came in in a month, and he's pushing those guys. That's a great sign. That shows you, one, that what you hear about from all the transfers that come here, the first words out of their mouth on why they chose to come here is Lance Leipold. They talk about how honest he was with them and how they connected with them. And this is almost... Um, validating that sentiment in that Pooney could be here for a month and be a guy that's pushing for real playing time because of his ability. So that's a guy that, you know, everybody likes Leipold when they come here as recruit because they say he's a straight shooter. And now here's an example of a guy coming from a, a division two school who's going to be pushing for playing time because of his ability and because they believe if you come here and play, you'll have the chance. You You will have a chance to play here. So I think it kind of – that helps more than just this current team. That helps this Kansas team in the future, especially how they evaluate talent moving forward. Um, receiver group I didn't get into, but I I love looking at Tanaka Scott. <laughs> and he's probably he's probably still got a ways to go in terms of experience, but, man, is he a physical specimen. He's a guy that I enjoyed. And uh, Doug Emelin was a another one that just looks like a real guy. You know, you just see him get in and out of cuts – you see him catch the ball and accelerate through tackles. He just looks like a real guy. So I'm excited about him as well.
2: Yeah, I, I love that you mentioned both of those guys. Yeah. If you're if I'm buying stock and wide receivers this offseason, like those are the two I'm picking. Listening to Coach Samuel and Terrence Samuel talk about Tanaka Scott, basically said he has all the intangibles. It's just like you said, experience. He's got to get time on the field and understand how to be level-headed, how to not get penalties, how to be consistent with route running, things like that. I mean, Douglas a million. You watch him just do the silly drills we get to watch. And you can see he has that dynamic athletic ability. Um, And I do want to circle back to the offensive line real quick because we've heard a lot about coach folks and his simplicity in teaching. I guess are there any examples that you can think of of your time being a player where you think of the simplicity of a coach and how much that can help you? Because all the offensive linemen rave about his coaching style and the way that he goes about kind of teaching them how to play a complex scheme but making it seem easy.
3: Yeah, so what it does is it takes thinking out of the game, especially on the offensive side of the ball. I can't speak for defense. I know they have some of the same.
0: I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
3: Uh, if not more uh, mental hurdles to go through. But as, a, as an offensive player, there's all this stuff to think about. You know, what's is, is, What's the blitz call? What's the audible out, out of the blitz call? Who's the zero? What What is their blitz package? What fronts do they run? What do I do when I have a three technique? What do I do when I have an outside technique? So what, what happens when you teach principle-based coaching? It makes the game easier because all you know is I'm going to play to my principal, and it really doesn't matter where they line up. It doesn't matter what blitz package they run. It doesn't matter what stunts they run or are. Or run game stunts, or you know little tricks that defenses have. I am a big proponent of principle-based coaching because I've seen what it did for the teams that we played for. Our playbook that Orange Bowl year was extremely simple and very straightforward, and a lot of it was more about I'm going to spend more time teaching you the technique and teaching you the principle than I am teaching you what you're going to look at, because if you follow the principle and the technique, what you're looking at and what comes at you won't bother you. So I think that's kind of what they mean by having that ability to make simple, make a difficult process simple in that if I play this technique and I play true to my rules and to my principles, then I'll be fine.
4: No, I know know last year at this time, you and I talked a little bit about Rich Miller. And one of the things that you had kind of said was, he's probably not going to start game one, may not start game two, may not start game three but you felt like by the end of the year he was going to either be starting or be a heavy member of that rotation, that he was going to work in there. And he wound up being maybe the best linebacker out of that group by the end of the year. Do you see anything similar with guys like Lorenzo McCaskill and, and some of the guys who, who have come in over this uh, over this offseason that Craig Young is probably going to start from day one, so we can almost, almost leave him out. But like McCaskill and Gilliard and guys like that, Is there anybody in that group that you look at and say, okay, against Tennessee Tech, maybe they're not going to start, but, you know, hey, by the time it's getting near the end of the year, you know, those guys may be some of the more important players out of that group.
3: Yeah, I would say – if I had to pick one, I would say it would be McCaskill. And uh, and the reason would be that he got here so late and got started so late. But we talked about – that relationship coach Lightpole has with the players and has with the transfers and the way they've related to him And a lot of it has been honesty and straightforwardness about opportunity. I think this is a, this is, this is a, I don't want to say it's transactional because it's not, but there's a transactional element. You're taking a fifth year player who is a second team, all conference player, you know, for a good team, a good team on defense. There's a, there is an expectation that he's going to get an opportunity to play. And if you watched him play, if he gets opportunities, he's going going to be good. Because the first thing that stands out about him is his arms are absurdly long. And you don't think about that as being a uh, beneficiary to a linebacker. But think about separation from blocks. You know, think about uh, recovering in the pass game if you're dropping into a pass zone. I think his length is going to help him a lot. And the first thing everyone told me about him was his physicality. He was hitting people with no pads on, so he's a guy that doesn't have any problems with that physicality. I think the you know you're bringing in a accomplished player who only has one year left to play, so he's going. I mean, I may be wrong on that, but may have one year left to play, so he's going to get some opportunities. They're going to come a little later, but at the end of the day, when you can play the way he plays, once he learns the schemes and gets comfortable with his teammates, I think that's just a slam dunk. Hmm.
2: Yeah, McCaskill is one too. That like I test you if you show up to practice like your first day and like for like fans will be able to go on Saturday to watch practice, you will see Lorenzo McCaskill. It will not be hard yes. to find him. Sure. Like the first day, like and they're also like maybe you can speak to this too. Like there's a difference between like being in physical shape and being in football shape, because someone like Lorenzo McCaskill shows up looking jacked and you're like wow, like that is a football player, but. He's someone that hasn't been in a full strength program since December, hasn't didn't have a spring practice. Right. Because the timing of when he entered the portal. Um, And so I guess for for you and your experience watching other players, like how long does it take to get in football shape? And if you're learning a new scheme, how long does that take to get
3: adapted to something like that,
2: especially on defense?
3: I think this goes back to kind of my opening statement about it is the transactional nature. Means that hey, you're coming here, and you know you only have a year. You need to take care of business. So that's how a guy shows up in shape because he's a man. You know, he's been around this. He's been around for a while, so he knows if I'm going to play, there's a limited amount of time where I can prove it, and that limited amount of time is 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 football camp. Um, so I think that that goes to his maturity and his age, and that's that's the beauty of, you know, you talked about walking out to practice. That's one of the first things you notice. Is they're old. There's old guys out there. There's veteran people out there. These people are not you know, 17, 18, 19-year-old kids that are trying to learn how to play and and up against it. These are men, and I think that's going to be to the benefit of the team in general, just about their overall ability to adapt to new situations, to, you know, potential hiccups, to things not going well. I don't think they'll have the same level of learning and struggle that they had the previous year.
4: Hmm. Is one of the places that you notice that the most, the defensive back group, because they've had to roll – a lot of young guys through there over the past few years in in particular. And, and now those young guys aren't as young anymore. You know, they, they've been through, you know, the fires of of being on a big 12 field. And and some of the guys they bring in like a Kalen Durbin and a Marvin Grant, they've, they've played major roles. And so it seems like that's a group in particular where maybe you could say, Hey, last year, maybe the year before, really young, a lot of guys out there, you know, maybe learning and finding their way. Whereas this year, you know, guys know what's expected of them. They, they know what they need to do.
3: Absolutely. That's a, that's a group I was very interested in. I think, you know, that's a, I think that's still the, the two question marks I think about the most are defensive back and wide receiver. And it's not because they don't have talent; It's just because they don't have production. So you're just looking for people, that are going to be stepping either into unfamiliar roles or into bigger roles than they have in the past, but there's no question about the talent, you know, guys like Jacoby, you know, these guys can play. And Kalen Gervin, um, the guy that really stuck out to me was uh, Jared Paul. Um, yeah. You know, the time I was there, he played four different positions. I mean, he, he backed up and he played some nickel. He played some hybrid linebacker. He played some true corner. He played some deep safety. And that's kind of what I mentioned about, having older people you have older people than as I mentioned with running back when you're talking about running back it makes it doesn't make as much sense because you know you're getting the ball and doing stuff but defensive back is literally the same concept I've got to find a way to contribute to this team and and what is it that I can contribute and for Paul it's versatility you know he's a guy that can play three or four spots he's a guy that when you have you know maybe a guy down for injury or you have a rotation you feel pretty comfortable because when you look at that group you know Safety, Edwin White-Schultz is a talented person. He's a guy that can really play. He's young, but he can play. Uh, O.J. Burroughs, we all know about how how good of a player he is. You know, it's easy to get caught up in his youth and his size, but his youth and his size don't prevent him from doing anything. You know, he does everything well. So he's someone I'm really excited about, and I don't know. I don't – Jason Gilliam, I know, is banged up, but, boy, he looked like an Adonis out there without pads. So this is still a this is still a deep talented group that now has uh, some some veterans some true vets that they can lean on um, that you know if they are in a tough spot there's people to go to that you say hey man what what can I do differently so I like that, mm. that that's gonna be a pure led group and there's gonna be a good balance between old and new.
2: Hmm. I'm curious for you too getting to go out to the the, the first of the two scrimmages uh, last Wednesday I want to say anything else that caught your attention watching that. I guess fans maybe should be on, on the lookout for here in the, I guess, what are we, almost two weeks away, two and a half weeks away from the start of the season?
3: Yeah. Um, D-line. The D-line is loaded, all right? They're loaded. There's guys that – there's old guys, guys. Caleb Sampson has been the guy I think – I think he's going to be all Big 12. I think he's going to benefit from being inside in a three technique mm-hmm. because you see he was good enough to play outside. He played outside for most of his career. Now he's big, strong, old in great shape, and now he's going to have a chance to use his athleticism and balance it with his strength. I like him at that three technique, uh, especially with Sam Burt playing that shade nose technique, um, because he is also a big, strong man that you know, when you get older, what you realize is, is that now my body can match what I can do mentally. And what happens to a lot of these Kansas guys in the past is they've ran out of time. So right when they've had that realization that, oh, my mental now matches my physical body they're just out of time. Sam Burt's not out of time. He's got he's got 12 more games to play at least. So I, I think that uh I think that that's a big benefit, but not only that. DJ Withers and Tommy oh, Dunn Jr are oh, talented. I mean they I I I'll, i pray at the gospel of Tommy Dunn Jr. I think he's a <laughs> special special talent. Um DJ Withers just really surprised me cuz I I just saw him as a longer term prospect. And he still may end up being a longer term prospect. But when you watch him, he just doesn't look like a guy that's very far away from contributing. He looks like a guy that can contribute soon. And that's a really good sign because you're looking at having the depth of maybe six deep Eddie Wilson, Ronald McGee, Sam Burt, Caleb Sampson. Then you got these two youngsters nipping at their heels for playing time. That's a really good sign, especially when you can balance. Um, you know, we talked about getting some guys some experience. If these guys at the talent level they are, they deserve an opportunity to play, and they will because you know how people rotate, uh, D linemen anyway. So that's going to be a strong old group. That's a group I'm really excited for people to see, um, and also tight ends. I think tight ends are the running backs of the of the uh, pass catchers. They're loaded, man. They just there's just a lot there. There's a lot of talent and there's a lot of versatility. Guys like Tavita Noah, who's you know an old school knock your socks off blocking tight end jared casey whatever he is i mean he's (laughs) he surprises me every time i see him you know he just doesn't look like the the player that he actually is he's so bouncy and has great hands he never misses blocks uh mason fairchild's a good pass catcher a smart reliable blocker and then you you're we haven't even got to trevor cardell yeah, you know this 6'6 mammoth who can maul people who can go up and catch balls over the middle and then you got will huggins who can who can who has been an immense talent that struggled with some injuries and once this guy puts it all together you're talking about a 6'8 guy who has routes who has great hands who has a great feel for the game i watched him in Shawnee Mr. south play outside linebacker well so this guy can play football so that tight end group is loaded so if you're looking at a group with a lot of good tight ends and a lot of good running backs. I I am excited to see what they scheme up because what you know about Big 12 and, and college football defenses is they like to match personnel with personnel, and that's going to be very tough when you have three tight ends and three backs that can play significant, significant roles. You can put two guys out there. I mean, you could probably put Kai Thomas in the slot. You know Devin Neal can play out there and catch the ball. Yep. You saw him in high school. Sure. So you. So you've got guys that you can flex out that can run routes. You got guys that can flex in and and cross the formation. I think they are going to be a difficult team to defend in that way because they're going to have, they're going to have a lot of uh, talent and a lot of depth at their disposal.
4: You you talked about the defensive tackles. What what have you seen from the defensive ends? Because Lonnie Phelps is a guy that's is getting rave reviews, and also you know some of the guys around him are starting to pick up buzz. As well. So what have you seen from that group? Similar. I've seen that. So I was speaking
3: specifically about the D tackles. Sure. The same applies for the defensive ends. I mean, it's a, it's the same kind of thing. Malcolm Lee is an old, talented, productive player, a reliable player. Uh, Hayden Hatcher, a reliable speed motor guy. Uh Lonnie Phelps is like being connected to a power plant. This guy is electric. <laughs> Uh, The first practice I saw him in the spring, he had two TFLs in a row, just blowing up run plays. Um, His pass rush win rate was, what, top 50 in the nation last year, Miami of Ohio. So we know he can do that. And now he has this motor, can play inside. He's going to be big time. Zion DeBose and limited reps last year won a lot on pass reps, Uh, won a lot with different spin moves and ins and outs. He's a talented, capable guy. So that's another group that's just going to have people you can put everywhere that can you know, you can, you can rotate guys and not lose anything. You can rotate guys and add a different element, you know, and that's one of the things that when they had Buffalo really humming those last two years is one of the things I noticed is their defensive sub packages, how, how many people they exchanged based on the look they were getting. That's something that Brian Borland will probably be able to do again this year. You know, if they're mentally up for the challenge, but I think they have the personnel for sure.
2: Definitely. I like you mentioned that too with, Brian Borland, like you talked about that having more depth where guys can play less snaps and be fresher late in games. I think that's going to be huge. I think Kevin put on Twitter, I think uh, over the off season at some point that KU only won a single second half last year against West Virginia. Um, and that's probably a result of the lack of depth on defense. And Brandon, we'll, we'll wrap up here because we want to let you go, but I guess for you, like week one, let's start here and just for you, what will you be looking for? Obviously KU has a really tough start to the season, right? You have, your game against Tennessee Tech, then you go on the road to play West Virginia, then you go on the road again to play Houston. Like, not an easy start. So, for you, what are you going to look for week one against Tennessee Tech that you're going to say, okay, this season's starting on the right foot?
3: The Tennessee Tech game, I just want to see him take care of business. Mm-hmm. Winning yeah. teams take care of business against teams like Tennessee Tech. So, to me, that means not making a lot of mental errors, not turning the ball over, you know, not missing assignments, not a bunch of pointing fingers at each other. Coming out there, playing the way they're supposed to, and you know, putting a team away that they should beat. And then when it comes to Houston, I the blueprint for what this team needs to be in the short term, I think they established last year, which is a huge bonus. Um, I thought the, the my favorite game from last year was TCU.
4: Yeah.
3: That was a game where offensively everything didn't go right like it did against Texas. You know, there were some mistakes here and there. Um, there were some things that didn't go right in the I, they gave up that big run early in the game. There were a lot of opportunities in that TCU game for them to fold and they refused. Um they caught, they got up consistently and they hit that that Max Duggan looked like he had been in a football game. And I think that is a short term, that's a short term identity for the team is to be very physical every opportunity they get and to play through their mistakes and build something special. And I think the difference this year is that these guys are one year older, they have more talent and more depth. But that game to me was a great example of what they can be a hard hitting physical team that you don't really have a lot of fun playing. You know, that's kind of the start. That's that goes back to what I mentioned in the open was that 2014 was when that first started to happen to where it was not fun to play that team because you, if you were getting hit, it was physical all the way through. We had strong special teams. It was a physical, physical game. And you have to start like I said, by they're not going to give you respect. You got to take it, especially at a place like Kansas. You know, you want to end all this joking and all this making fun of and all this stuff you had nothing to do with. The best way to do it is to hit somebody in the mouth.
2: Hmm. I love it. That's a great way to end it. Thanks a bunch, Brandon, for coming on. And, of course, KU fans, you can follow everything that he does with KU this fall. But And, Brandon, for folks that don't follow you on Twitter already, um, where can they find you to get some of your your Twitter takes?
3: So my my Twitter name is Brandon McAnders. So just drop sure. the in and uh, check me out on there. I'll be doing some stuff. And uh, I do pregame um, Crimson and Blue show. I'll do a pregame show where I'll talk a lot about some of these things that I've seen uh, sure. with David Lawrence. And then also just random comments. Uh, I love the NBA. Uh, so you might hear me talk about the NBA some. And uh, I love my Lawrence Lions, and I love my uh, Las Vegas Raiders. So check me out.
4: And now you get Clint Bowen to root for with the Lawrence Lions. No after, question. Uh, That's another thing. Uh,
3: Charlie Charlie Bowen is equipment guy with KU. Yep. Every Every Saturday morning, the first thing, the first order of the business was discussed in Lawrence High, Lawrence High School. Absolutely. Nice. Love it. Well,
2: well thanks, thanks again, Brandon. Really do appreciate it.
3: All right. Thanks for having me, guys.
2: Okay.
0: Picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.